I get the privilege of stepping in this morning and kind of continuing our summer series through the parables of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus that come to us uh, in short stories, or Jesus was teaching us lessons about the kingdom of God when he would do, th- do so through common stories of, of our common experience. And so today we want to speak to a parable, a really, really short little story Jesus gives us that addresses this subject of prayer. So if you've got a Bible, go up to, uh, to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning, and, and I just want to begin by, by reading our text, and then I'll jump in from there, and the words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and the voice of Jesus speaks to us like this. He told them a parable to the effect they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word to us. We pray now, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit you've given to us, we pray that you would visit us in this moment. As your word is open to us and as your word is being explained, God, would you help me explain it clearly? Would you give us understanding in Jesus? Would you shape us as your people? We're coming in from all over the place this week with a variety of concerns in this moment. And I'm asking now that by the power of your spirit and for your kingdom's sake, that you would draw up our minds, attention, our hearts, affections to be be addressed by you, good king. Have this moment. It's for you, your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned a little bit ago that my wife and I have four kids at home. We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, an almost two-year-old, and a two-month-old. Uh, so there's a flurry of activity around the Kinser home. And one of the things that we love about having young kids, one of the things I love about having young kids, is many of the questions that I have about life and faith are the same questions that they have. But here's what's even better about them. They haven't been sort of domesticated by social graces and by political correctness. They just kind of come with those very same questions that I have that I ask in a softer way or that you and I might ask in a softer way. They just bypass taboos and they ask them with just straight honesty, right? And I love this. And one of these moments that comes to my mind as I think about this happened a couple of years ago when my oldest daughter, who's six, she was four years old. We were putting the girls to bed one night uh, and before we kind of tucked them in, we, we wanted to pray. And so uh, we came to this moment of prayer, and I, and I asked our oldest, hey, would you want to pray for us tonight? Would you want to pray for the, for the family? Um, and she looked back at me, and she says, hey, where's God? Like, real matter of fact. Hey, where's God? And so my wife and I look at one another, and uh, she's not here, but, you know, I'm kind of acting this out. We look at one another, and she kind of gives me this hand motion, and she says, um, 
that's, that's yours, pastor, you know, uh, like take this one on. All right, we're doing this. And so I said, then, well, the Bible tells us that, that God is everywhere, everywhere. And she looks back at me. She says, so is God on the roof? <laughs> kind of, kind of. But I, we also began to explain real briefly, 30, 45 seconds, that those who trust Jesus, he also lives inside of us. God lives inside of us. And that's how we can have confidence that he, he hears us. And we explain this to her, and she looks back at us with this really pensive look on her face. And um, she said, God's pretty crazy, huh, Dad? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty crazy. So why don't you go ahead and pray tonight? Okay, I'll, I'll pray. You would have thought we were talking about rocket science for her. But, but man, here's the deal. Whether you're asking the question, where is God, and is God on the roof? Whether or not you're asking those questions, all of us know something of those kinds of moments where we're asking a question of how, how does this faith thing work? Like, how does this whole God thing work? How does it come together? We have life experiences. We see what the Bible's saying. We have thoughts about how that's connecting. And sometimes the dots don't seem to connect, right? And that's especially true for anyone who's pursuing the honest Christian life. That's especially true when it comes to this issue of prayer, right? I think we have to be honest that prayer is one of those things where on the positive side, we have this soul-shaping experience with God where we're giving our heart to him, we're, we're bringing our request to him, we're saying things to him that we would say to no one else, and we find it to be so powerful and lifting, and our soul's affections are rising up, our minds are brought to peace, and there's this powerful thing with prayer, right? At the same time, it can be wildly maddening. Wildly maddening, because I think for anyone who's honestly prayed and pursued a life of prayer, you have on the one hand stories where you've been praying for direction, you've been praying for healing, you've been praying for forgiveness, for peace. And, and there have been moments as you're praying for those things, you have this, this awareness of God's presence that's so tangible in the room that you don't know what to do with yourself. And you're overcome with confidence in God and who he is and that he's for you and he hears you. On the other hand, though, we have these other moments of prayer. We've prayed the best way we know how. We've given all the eloquence that we can possibly muster. We, we, we've come before God and we've just borne out our souls before him, asking him to fix that marriage, to, to heal that loved one of their illness. Maybe there's a friend or a family member in your, and you've, you've begged God to save them and to bring them to faith and repentance. And after all the prayers have been prayed, that marriage still fell, fell apart. That, that, that loved one wasn't healed. That friend still hasn't come to faith in Jesus. And so we have on the one hand, all these stories of God's nearness and God's power and God's overwhelming, convincing sort of, I'm with you. But then these other moments where we feel crazy. We feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and wondering what we're even doing. And, and, and I think there's a group of people in the room that you hear and you're thinking, yeah, that's my experience. And your thought is, I, I want to pray, but I don't know what to pray. It feels awkward when I pray. Or, or maybe your thought is, I, it just feels like a stale religious exercise, this prayer thing, you know? Like I want it to be meaningful. It just feels stale. And, and then I think on the other hand, there's, with all of that sort of coming to the table and common experience for us, there's this other group of people in the room, and I've been in the game long enough that I seem to find myself here with you, is that you've heard sermons on prayer. 
You've been to prayer meetings. You've read books on prayer. You've sat in Bible studies on prayer. And there's something really dangerous about that first sermon like this because I think if you've been around prayer long enough, you've been in the game long enough, you now know more about prayer than you actually practice. Like you've been to the meetings, you've read the books, you've heard the sermons, you might have even preached the sermons and you don't pray. And so now your knowledge exceeds practice and we've become like the people that we, we hate, right? Hypocrites, hypocrites. And so here's what I find fascinating. Whether you're someone who wants to pray but doesn't know how and wants to get there but, but doesn't know how or you're someone who knows how to get there well enough and well enough good, but you don't. Wherever you find yourself, here's what I find fascinating about the Bible. Over and over and over again, God addresses all of us with this command to pray. There's no asterisk. There's no, oh yeah, you know stuff, so you don't have to anymore. Or, oh, can't you just pull it all together and just bring words to me? No, he addresses all of us with this command to pray in all times, in all occasions, in all things, regardless of circumstance, and here's this one, regardless of outcome, pray, pray. And so where we find ourselves in Luke 18 today, it really is in this teaching where Jesus is caught up in a larger conversation with his disciples that spans back to chapter 17, and it's on the coming of the kingdom of God, on the establishment of God's kingdom. In this long conversation, Jesus turns in chapter 18, and he opens up with this little story this little parable, in the midst of the coming kingdom, he cuts to the heart of the issue. We can talk about end times, but what about today and what about prayer? What what about today and what about prayer? So look back at verse one with me. And as we notice verse one, Luke, the gospel writer, is gonna give us something really important that we rarely get in the parables of Jesus. If you have any time in the parables of Jesus, they can often be confusing, but Luke in verse one is gonna go ahead before the parable and interpret it for us. He's going to tell us what we ought to be listening for as we read the next few verses. So look at verse one. Because he told them a parable to the effect for the purpose that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Okay, so Luke is trying to get all of us to see something this morning. He's holding up prayer and he's drawing a straight connection, a straight line. Uh, he's connecting the dots between prayer and a faint heart between prayer and a weary soul. Not that prayer produces these things, but that prayer is the remedy. And I know sometimes that feels difficult, that sometimes feels counterintuitive because sometimes it's like I'm exhausted because I've been praying and I'm not sure I'm getting help. But what he's saying is, no, 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 listen, hang with me. Prayer is the remedy for the faint heart. Prayer is the remedy for the weary soul, even when it feels like it's not. Jesus is about to tell us a story. He's about to tell us a parable to tap us into how he designed life to work. How he designed life to work. So let's get to it. Verse two, he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. So Jesus begins this little story. He has two characters. He has on the one hand, this unjust judge. Uh, This wicked judge, this unrighteous judge. And we learn two things about him. He he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't fear God. And he doesn't care for the common good of man. So so he doesn't believe in God. And he doesn't really care about those in his charge. He's a city leader. And he doesn't really care about the, the good of those in his charge. He just wants his money. He wants his power. He wants his position. 
This is the first character. There's also a second character, a, a little widow, a poor widow in the story. And she's coming to this judge asking for help. Now, when Jesus would have given this story in the first, con- in the first century context, this would have made, to made complete sense. Because in their context, a woman in this situation would have had very, uh, very little opportunity to find work. Uh, she would have been dependent on her husband, but without a husband, she's then dependent on her sons. And then if she doesn't have sons, well, she's not going to find a lot of work. And so she's going to be at the mercy of her local community, of her local government to supply her needs. Now, now remember though, who's she coming to ask for help? Who's she going to for help? She's going to an unjust judge who doesn't believe God and doesn't care for the good of people. So unless this little widow has some connection to the judge, unless, he's, unless she sort of has a family relationship or a friendship, it, it, does, it doesn't look good for our, our widow. But the story ends the next two verses. It says this. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. I love that Jesus pictures this judge speaking to himself, reminding himself of his own wickedness. I'm the storyteller, Jesus says. It goes how I say. <laughs> Though for a while he refused, but after he said, I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay, so the judge caves. That the judge caves, he gives this widow what she's asking for. He gives this widow some help and he does so because he can't stomach the idea of seeing her again. I, I, can't, I can't handle hearing her voice, her walking into my courts one more time. Just give her what she's asking for so that she leaves me alone. This is the judge. This little widow would not take no for an answer. She was gonna get what she was coming for until she got it. Until she got it. So, so here's the deal. The parable's over. Just, just two verses, the parable's over. Now you know why it's so important that on the front end, Luke interpreted this one for us. Because now this is supposed to be about prayer. Okay, thanks Jesus for that one, right? But now Luke interpreted it for us. And what's gonna happen in the next couple of verses where we're gonna end our time together is Jesus is gonna come and give some legs up underneath this little story. And he's gonna give us four truths about prayer that we ought to to wrap our hands around and to get our lives sort of in line with. He's gonna give us four truths about prayer in the verses that follow. And here's the first truth. In verses six and seven, remember who it is that you're praying to. Remember who it is that you're praying to. Verse six. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? And so what Jesus does is he presents this judge. He says, look at this judge, but also look at God. He, he holds them up and he pits their character against one another in stark contrast. He says, look at this unrighteous judge. If even him and all his wickedness and all his evil and all his unrighteousness, if even he will help this widow, albeit begrudgingly, then how much more so will God who's perfect in righteousness, who's perfect in goodness, who's perfect in care, how much more so will God help those and provide for those who come to him asking for help? He says, remember who you're praying to. This is God. This is God we're praying to. Not some sort of unjust king who just loves his money and his power and position. This is God we're praying to. This is God. Psalm 68 says that God, he bears up our burdens. He sees us and he carries us in our burdens. 
That this is God, Isaiah 61. He brings good news to the poor. He heals up the brokenhearted and he sets the captive free. Remember who it is. First Peter chapter one says that before the creation of the world, he had a plan in motion to save sinners like you and me, even before we had need of him, before we knew we had need of him. This is God. Remember who it is you're praying to. He's not an unjust judge who hands out mercy begrudgingly when you bother him enough. No, no, no. This is your all-sufficient father who holds open his hands freely to provide for his children who cry out to him. Remember who you're praying to. First truth. The second truth comes at the end of seven. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The second truth is this. Remember who you are to God. Remember who you are to God. So Jesus, in this verse, he gives us a name. He he gives us a title. He calls us something in this verse. He calls us his elect. He calls us his chosen ones. And simply what this means is it means that your faith isn't random. You're, You're not an accident. You're not an accident. Your faith isn't random. Jesus gives us a name here. So you've got to hear this, right? You're not who you think you are. You're not who you feel yourself to be. You're not what others think about you. You're not what others say about you. You are not what other people do to you. You are who God says you are. He gives you a name here. He calls you his elect. And so what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is telling us is that if you're coming in the room with faith today, then you ought to have encouragement when it comes to your prayers and confidence when it comes to God's hearing you. And here's why. Because your faith was planned by God. You're elect. You're chosen. Your faith was planned by God. It was purchased by God. It was purposed by God. Planned, purchased, and purposed by God. Your faith, listen, you're not a surprise to God and your prayers don't bother him. You're not a surprise to God and your prayers don't bother him. You're his elect. He purchased you for your prayers. He wants them. Remember who you are to God. Listen, God didn't send his son. This is the logic of the gospel. God didn't send his son to bear the weight of your sin and mine, to transfer us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He didn't go to such great lengths to win us over to him just to now ignore us. You hear that? He hasn't gone to such great lengths just to ignore. So even though sometimes it feels like they're just hitting the ceiling and bouncing into open air. No, 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 no. God hasn't won you just to ignore you. Remember who you are to God. And so I know there's some of you walking in the room today and and you're carrying this, this plagued conscience. You're carrying this guilt. You're carrying this shame and And the question you're asking today as you hear this sermon on prayer is, yeah, but does God want to hear from me? Like, like, will he ever hear from me again like I think he used to? If that's you, if if you're sort of uneasy about prayer because you're wondering if your prayers will be received by God, you have only one place to look. One place to look for the answer to that question, the cross of Jesus where every sin you would commit, the past ones, the present ones, and hey, listen, there's some still to come for all of us. Even the present ones were laid there at Calvary's cross and paid in full. 
So that prayer now, right? Prayer is not about you and I sort of mustering up this incantation good enough to now bend God's ear to us. That I've said enough, I've meant it enough, I've gripped my hands enough and my squinted my eyes enough now that God will finally hear me. No, 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 no. His ear is already bent toward you because his son was pierced for you. His ear is bent toward you He purchased you, elected you, chose you. His ear is bent because his son was pierced for you. So remember who you are to God. You're not just anybody praying to him. You're his elect ones. So remember who God is. Remember who you are. But there's a third truth he gives. There's a third truth he gives at the end of seven and beginning of eight. And it's remember how he responds to us. Look at what he says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Here it is. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. <laughs> Remember how God responds to you. Okay, so this is, this is a matter of conversation now, right? Because I don't know about your prayer experience, but I know mine. I, I wouldn't describe it anything like speedy with God. It very often seems like he waits until the last possible minute to go, I told you I was there. Come on, man. Yesterday would have been nice, you know? Like, that's our common experience with prayer, right? But he's now saying he doesn't delay. God doesn't delay over us, even though it seems he does. And he responds speedy. So what does Jesus mean here? I think for, a, for us to think about this is like the relationship with a parent and a child, Right? So again, I've got four kids at home. I get requests all the time. All the time. Can I bypass my nap, Dad? Can I get up from my nap? Do I have to take a nap? Uh, Do I have to eat my veggies at dinner? Can I play on the iPad? Don't judge me for that one. Um, Because I've had those looks before. Uh, Can I play outside? Can I watch a show? I mean, the list could go on and on and on with the requests that my wife and I get. Now, we respond to every request because they won't let us not. (laughs) We respond to every request. In relative, it's a speedy response. It is. But we don't always respond in the way that they've asked us to. We don't. We don't always respond to give them what they want in the way that they want it when they want it. Only a negligent parent treats their kids that way. We respond with care and with help, even though it may not always seem caring or helpful to them in the moment. So if my wife and I, busted as we are, broken as we are, respond with this kind of care, and this kind of help speedily to our children, even though it may not seem so to them, then how much more so God He doesn't delay long. He's speeding his response, but his response isn't always what we want, so it feels delayed. So it feels not so speedy. So so it feels like he's forgotten, but that doesn't mean he's not working. That doesn't mean he's not caring. That doesn't mean he's not helping. He doesn't always respond with what we're asking, but it says in in the promise that he will give justice to his people, even if it doesn't feel just in the moment. He will bring it. He will. This is a great quote by by C.S. Lewis that I think explains some of this dissonance in prayer. In his book, 
mere Christianity. I think the words will be on the screen. It says, very often before God provides help in a given area of life, he continues to let us struggle in order to give us something greater than relief. Hang with me. He continues to let us struggle in order to give us something greater than relief. He wants to give us the sweet lessons of dependence upon him and the hard evidence that he can be trusted. Lessons in dependence and trust are truths that we can take with us long after relief is no longer needed. Wow, right? So very often it will feel like what we're reading here in this passage is not true. It will feel like he's delaying. It will feel not so speedy. But in those moments of prayer, when it feels like God is far, what we can know is true. Okay, he didn't respond like I asked. He didn't respond in the way and the timing. So here's what I can know. This is dependence time. This is a trust lesson. He's building something into me that I can take with me long after the relief I'm asking for is no longer needed. You see, lessons of dependence and trust are lessons that we can take with us after this life is over. You see, we're going to be living in dependence upon Jesus and trust in Jesus, even in heaven. You see, heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. We're depending upon him and we're trusting him for the heavenly life. And so he's, as he's teaching us dependence, as he's teaching us the painful lessons of trust, he's prying our fingers off of the mindset of this world and attaching us to the eternal life of the kingdom of God. He's building into us actively, even here and now, the life of heaven. The idea of the Christian life as God would grow us is that there would be as much as possible a seamless transition from this life to the next. As much as possible. He's building into the life of heaven even when it hurts. That's just how deep our brokenness goes. He responds, he promises. Remember who you're praying to, who it is that you are and how God responds. There's one more for us as we close At the end of verse eight, the final truth is remember that Jesus is coming. The kingdom is coming. Look at the end. He says, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now remember what I said in the beginning, this is a part of a larger teaching that Jesus is giving that goes back into chapter 17 on the kingdom of God. His disciples like us were full of angst and full of questions. Hey, what's it gonna look like? What's it gonna be like? When are you gonna do this whole thing? And Jesus cuts through all of the intrigue of the book of Revelation and just says, but, but today, but today I want to give you this little story so that your faith endures today, today, and that you won't lose heart. And so the question is, how's your faith going to endure? I, I know we want him to return, but he's not done that last I checked. So how's your faith going to endure? How are you not going to lose heart? How is it that you're going to keep your faith from being choked out by the cares of this world and by the allure of worldly pleasures? How? How? Pray, ask, seek, knock, and do so like the widow. She was persistent. So come and keep coming. Pray and keep praying. This is the thing often overlooked in this passage. So for sure, Jesus condemns the unjust judge, but he commends the persistence of the widow. He commends it. You're not bothering him. Keep coming. Badger him because you're not actually badgering him. 
So if God's attentiveness to us and his choosing us as his own has actually served to weaken the frequency and the urgency of your prayers, you don't understand his attentiveness like you think you do. You don't, right? So how often, how often have we prayed for God to give us victory over a sin? Or we've prayed for someone in our life that God would, would do something, heal them, save them, whatever. And then because the response, the victory didn't come or the healing didn't come immediately, we just gave up and we started working our own best remedy. We just gave up. Or how often have, I know this is me, right? In prayer, you, you just gave up as sort of this defense mechanism to protect yourself from feeling disappointed in God later because he didn't come through like you wanted him to. And so, and so I'll just spare myself from having to answer the harder questions later of God not doing what I thought he would or what I asked him to do. And so I'll just bail on prayer now to spare myself a disappointment. And you'll just say something like, man, he's in control of all things. He'll do what he wants. What do I need to say anything for? You're right. God is in control of all things. But if your belief in God's sovereignty has served to reduce your prayers, you don't have as much confidence in God's sovereignty as you think you do. Because throughout the scriptures, we see that there's a sovereign God, but we also see he consistently accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. The sovereign God has chosen the prayers of his people to carry out his sovereign purposes. And so notice what Jesus says here. He says, when the son of man returns, not if, not, not, not if I return, when I return, he's asking us, will I find faith? So, so I know you want that day to come, but what about today? Will I find you faithful? Will I find you praying? So I know there's some of you hear this and like you want to pray. You want to, but you still have, but I don't know what to say. Maybe you find yourself where the only times it feels like you even know what to do with prayer are in times of desperation or at lunch. Me too. Me too. I find myself there too. And so as we, as we wrap up just real briefly, I want to give just some practical helps on kind of where you can take some next steps. So I think for some of you in the room, all of us realize this. You're not going to pray like a champion tomorrow. Like this is something that we're all growing in, right? You don't go zero to 60 with this. So I think for some of you, like you've never prayed a genuine prayer before. Like you're coming in the room and you're wondering what all this is about. And maybe if you've prayed anything, it's on a night you regret on the way home, you know? God, get me out of this one. And so if that's you, the scriptures invite you to pray today. There's a promise in Romans chapter 10 that says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Like there's a promise to your first prayer that it will be received by God and he'll save you. Maybe the first step for some of you is to pray afresh the first time. Say, Jesus, help me believe. I think for others of us walking with Jesus, it's a step forward in saying, I need to grow in the quality and quantity of my prayers, right? So I think there's some of you, like, you're going to pray for that 30 seconds, uh, somehow when you get in your car or somewhere during that commute to work in the morning or on your way home. And maybe the step is, hey, 30 seconds is right, it's good, but what if we started taking that to a minute? 
to, to three minutes, to five, to 10 minutes. Maybe there's ways where we start actually cutting out time in our day and our schedule to pray, carving it out, waking up early. So the quantity of your prayers, the length of your prayers, there's also the, the quality, right? So I know for me, so much of my prayers, maybe like yours, are just centered on me. They're just my needs, my wants, my thoughts, my need for forgiveness, me all the time. Maybe the quality of your prayers would grow to getting outside of yourself, just worshiping God for who he is, praying for people around you. Maybe you're walking your neighborhood like you already do, but now praying for the move of God in your neighborhood and around your neighbors and where God could, you're starting to pray for something bigger than yourself. God's concerned with you for sure, but he's also concerned with moving his life from you to others. To others, maybe you're growing in the quality of your prayers. And I think there's others of you like that. That's where you are. And then next step for you is fasting to begin to, to cut out some things in your life that you're so wrapped around to give more focus to prayer. Others of you just need to get crazy and pray all night. Like there's steps for all of us. There's steps for all of us, but what Jesus is calling us to if we want to see our sin busted up by Jesus, if we want to see him busted up and give us some holy joy, call us to make a difference in this city and among the nations, it's going to come through prayer. It's going to happen this way. And so here's where I want to end. Because this is a big call, right? This is a big move forward. But here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just lead us in his teaching. He's not just going to say some stuff to us in Luke 18 and then go, we'll see what happens with that. Here's what I love about Jesus. He leads us not just in his teaching, but he leads us in the fact that he carries out the life himself that he's calling us to. I'll show you what I mean. Luke, or not Luke, Hebrews chapter seven. The words will be on the screen. Look at this verse about Jesus in prayer. Consequently, he is able, he has the ability to save to the uttermost, completely, entirely. He saves entirely those who draw near to God through him. How? How does he save us like that? Since he always, or because he always lives to make intercession for them. You see that? So even now, as you hear the sound of my voice and the entire time we've been in this service and the entire time you're gonna go home and the entire time you're gonna spend the rest of your Sunday and on in tomorrow, he always lives to pray for you. He's praying for you right now as he's calling you to prayer. Don't muster this up. Receive the Savior who's already praying for you right now that your faith would persevere, that he would not lose you, that you would be healed and actively working to heal you, that your witness would be strong, that he's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. And there's just a rule. When you get up out of the ground, you get what you want. Like when you rise from the dead, what you want, you get. So Jesus' prayers are answered. He's praying for you. And his prayers don't fail over you. You believe today because the Savior has made intercession for you. You're going to make it home one day to stand face to face because the Savior's been praying for you and leading you all the while. He's praying for you. And so he told them this parable in Luke 18 to the effect that they ought always to pray, that you and I ought always to pray and not lose heart.